Well, first, uh, great pleasure to, to be here and be actually the first short talk with Plenary. Well, thanks a lot to Greg and Yuri for the organization. Let's start well. Thanks, thanks for sure. But we try to be uh, to really give you an overview. Uh, I won't go really into many detail. What I tried to favor in my talk was the link with like computing and the computing need we might have uh, from our research and in the perspective of the future of the, the center and what we could get from the center. So I'm biologist by by training. I have a little training in statistics as well, but I'm not a computer scientist. You will see it, but. I work a lot with, with numerical data, and uh, for this I'm very glad to be also nested in the, the geoscience faculty. Um, so, to, just to root a bit the topic of my research in a very broad context, well, we all know that human is having a big impact on the planet, more and more, using resources, and this has huge impact on the uh, biodiversity and ecosystems. So this is just an example of how much human can take from primary productivity depending on, on which country you are. It's quite known. And this, this creates a lot of changes that we call global changes, can climate change, but also other pollutions like uh, soil pollution, river pollution, biological invasion, uh, over-exploitation of resources or, or, or destruction of habitats like by urbanization. So we are losing already a lot of biodiversity, ecosystems get degraded, and we need somewhat, that's also why we call more of our, our era the Anthropocene, that for you is very known. We are marking so much the system that it will be known for long, that we have been on this planet. And one thing that is increasingly needed is to do conservation planning that integrates the somewhat the conservation of biodiversity. So the, the, the really conservation planning and you see that some books are being published on that, these big papers on, on systematic conservation planning, where they really try to promote a systematic use of all the knowledge we have on biodiversity when we need to take decisions. So it's not built anywhere if you have rare species, if you have rare habitats, you should care and maybe think to build something uh, elsewhere. And, and especially for this type of approach, you need specially explicit data. The problem is often we have data that are occurrences in space and with various density depending on how much something was done, something effort. But often decisions need spatially explicit maps. So we need somewhat to specialize um, uh, the data we have. And one of the problems of the big database where all these biodiversity data are stored is that they are incomplete. And you see it, it's very obvious here, but for vertebrates you see that we know a lot about North America, Europe, Australia, and not much on the rest of the world. So that's really a geographically re reference biodiversity data. And if you then, of course, want to, to try to take decisions with this data, you're lacking a lot of knowledge everywhere you have blue colors. So it's especially problematic, of course, for all the same countries, all the, 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 the countries that have less the ground. And so maybe one possible solution to try to specialize this biodiversity data is to use models that take the point data, try to correct possibly bias in this data, and generate special predictions. And so the one type of models uh, doing this are these species distribution models. They are statistical models, usually, sometimes mechanistic, 
but based on occurrence data, so on paper data, from the database that just shown, on trying to relate them with environmental data to get special predictions. And this is really a field that has been increasing over the last years. It, it's, uh, uh, it also shows the needs for translation. At least many papers try to propose this approach to, to try to, to solve <coughs> the translation problem. So the principle of these models is very simple in itself. It's very easy to understand to anyone who has knowledge of statistical modeling, especially predictive statistical modeling. We just use observation of, of biodiversity for species, or it could be other entities, in geographic space. We, for every observation, we can extract values, attributes from environmental maps. And instead, we build models that capture what, is, what we call in biology the, the environmental niche of species, which is the envelope of environmental conditions that these species will need to be observed. So it's, of course, a long temperature, water, for, for plants it will be still light, nutrients, and so on. And the nice thing is when you have fitted a model, of course you use statistical apertures, you fit risk-response along with all these gradients, and you can use this model to recombine the initial environmental maps and get the spatial predictions. So this is really a way to move from points to spatially explicit predictions in geographic space. So it really moves from environmental space uh, to, to geographic space to environmental space back to geographic space. So this is really a field that I've been developing in, with my group since I'm in Lausanne. And it's a field where we have also contributed quite a lot. In this sense, it is also many aspects that on which I could, we could uh, interact with people in the new geocomputing center. But that's not going to be the main part of my talk today. But since from that, from this aspect, we'll, we'll reappear later in my talk. And of course, we also can apply this type of approach to many type of organisms. We have many collaborations worldwide on, on uh, using these models on really large variety of organisms. Uh, because we have the data in this big database, and therefore, if you have climate data at any scale, you can also you can build them. So it's relatively easy to build models. Then it's important to evaluate them to, to, to understand how they work. And more locally, what we are doing here uh, since nearly 15 years in Lausanne is to work especially, focus especially in one area, which is Alpodoise, which since 2013 has really become a very important uh, research area for the whole uh, first faculty of geoscience. And since this year, it's going to be one of the two study areas of this new Center for Mountain Research that was also launched more or less in parallel with this center uh, by the, the Union of Direction and uh, granted for four years. So um, we, we have been sampling many data in this area. This is just an example of the, the three main data sets we have been sampling over the years. Plants, many, many uh, grassland plants, many insects and soil microorganisms, but we also have some other data from this database I've mentioned before. For Switzerland it's called Info Species. <coughs> you see the forest that is also a very large data set in, in red here that, that we can also use for, for modeling. So we we do the sampling in a very robust way, we use random stratified approaches, we go to specific sites with GPS and we record the localities and etc. So I think it's, it's really a very robust data to, to, to do this, this type of modeling. Of course, we also need environmental data, and that's one of the 
very important reason why I ended the geoscience faculty, uh, because I can interact with people in faculty, geomorphology. Uh, so I interact with Craig, with Christopher Lambert, for instance, with uh, Jean-Michel Fagel and so on. And uh, we try to use basic data, topography, uh, and combine these with, with measurements of, for instance, uh, meteor station, soil measurements to derive also uh, maps of environmental variation. Of course, more and more increasingly, we also use remote sensing to try to generate this data. So I will not spend too much on that, but that's of, of course also a very strong link with the geoscience faculty. Now what I really want to tell you about today is, is some complications that we have when we do, we do the model. And there are many ways we can complicate the story, especially in terms of computing power. That's what you will see. The first thing is that there was a question of evaluating models. Of course, we need to evaluate the models. So there are many ways you can do. Uh, this is just like a sample, but some of the main ones you can do is form of a repeated split sample, which is a simple uh, two-fold cross-validation that repeated many times. You can do a standard cross-validation, a leave one out cross-validation, or you can use bootstrap also in, a, in an evaluation uh, uh, way. And what you see here is already every time you do these type of things, often you have to build like 100 models to you do 100 repetition of this split sample. Uh, with bootstrap, it's, quite, it's not uncommon to do 200, 2000 uh, bootstrap. So immediately, it will multiply the number of models you need to construct by this number of time. Another complication is that often, well, many sensitive studies have shown that one of the main factors influencing models was the method used to, to do the model. The, the, the statistical technique. So one thing that is increasingly done is to use many statistical techniques and, to, and then to ensemble the predictions into an ensemble model. It's like model average. So you could use generalized linear models, additive models, gradient boosting machine, random forest, this type of models. Build a model for every species, build a model with every technique, and get, of course, a stack of predictions just for one species. So it, another, you see that now if you, you, see, you do that, then you evaluate every technique with a speed sample 100 times, you start to multiply the number of models. The big advantage of this ensemble is that you get then for every pixel a kind of uh, probability distribution functions. So you have the predictions by any technique, and you get kind of predictions, uh, distribution of the, of the predictions that you can use to, to, to provide more informative predictions, like mean prediction, variance around predictions across models and so on. And just to, to show you a, a, one of the very big strengths of this ensemble approach, if you, if you use it in a very specific way, we proposed several, a few years ago, and we tested it very recently some more, uh, to use actually uh, ensemble of small models to solve the problem of very small sample size. Together with the with modeling technique, sample size is often always one of the most critical factors when you build models. If you don't have enough observation of the species, it's very difficult to build a good model because you need many predictors to fit the niche of the species, but you can't put too many predictors in the same model if you have few occurrences. So what you can do is build many bivariate models, for instance, with each time two different variables. And then do all the possible combinations out of your models, uh, out of your predictors. If you have, for instance, 10 predictors, you will have 45 possible combinations of the <coughs> models. So you can give 45 models. 
um, do an ensemble operation. And that was shown actually to be extremely powerful to predict species. It increased a lot the prediction on independent data. So this is the result of cross validation. And you see that compared to a standard approach, it really does improve the, the, the model. You can actually even do an ensemble of the technique in the ensemble of the model, which is a form of double ensemble, but it doesn't really improve a lot compared to doing an ensemble in single techniques. But in any case, for species with like observations smaller than 25, it's being increased, but still even for species that have more than 50 observations, it's, it remains quite important uh, improvement. So that, that's another complication because here, uh, sorry, just come back here. Really, a technique that, that, that is worth for, for increasing, really, to, to help models with very small sample size, but also for models actually with large sample size. And yeah, what I want to say just now is that actually compared even to an ensemble modeling with more techniques, here you really even multiply more the number of models because you do almost 45 models just for if you have 10 predictors for, for one species. Uh, and you can do it then with different techniques. So even more the number of models. One more thing we often do also is to assess actually some 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 factors affecting the predictions. We use artificial data. So, for instance, one one typical approach is to create virtual species in a real landscape. So we build a model for for a species using real data, and we we postulate that the predictions are is a true distribution, and we resample the prediction. Uh, and try them to fit the models. Um, in the process, you can, you can, for instance, add bias in the real, in, in the true distribution of the species. You can uh, sample different sample size. You can use different techniques and so on. So you can test many factors. And you're supposed to obtain the truth again. You can see how much just by, for instance, not sampling enough, you don't get the truth back. So we don't even try to add noise. We just want to see how much sample size, for instance, we need just to recover the truth. It's very, very powerful, uh, but it again needs a lot of models to do. Um, and one more thing is that then we've been talking about modeling single species so far, but of course, uh, one of the things we, we try to do also for conservation uh, purpose is to reconstruct communities by stacking individual species predictions. So if you, if you can model all the species in, in for instance, a taxonomic group, you can try to reconstruct the communities, so for instance, the plant communities, and this way you need to really model all species. 
So you might also need then to model all species with the ensemble of small models, because for the species that have small sample size and that you want to keep in the predictions, you need this type of approach. So you, 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 you start to see that we sometimes really need to build very large domain of models. We will see numbers later. And the last thing is actually, so we have been working with many traditional groups like plants, insects, that still have kind of reasonable number of species. But recently, since uh, a few years, we have been starting to sample soil, um, sampling DNA in the soils to uh, identify all the microorganisms. So we work with fungi, bacteria, protista. This is just an example with fungi, where you see that this is an ordination of the fungi uh, that we found. And you see with the color in which it's, it's like the, these are different sites. And you see that the sites are organized by the fungi uh, composition, but we have labeled the plot with the vegetation types. And you see that the fungi are grouped by vegetation types. So it's very clear that there's a very strong link between plants and fungi, for instance. So we can uncover a very nice uh, new knowledge about fungi ecology. But also, when we want to do to move to the modeling, we have here thousands of species. So it really becomes a huge number of species that also require very large computing power. Uh, so you see that actually, when we do all these things, you, we have many of these factors that multiply the number of factors. Uh, so it's hundreds of models fitted usually for one species. And then if you do it for communities, you get several thousands, if not millions, of models for your, your, your study. So just two examples very quick. Uh, one with this virtual approach. Uh, we, I had a PhD student who just finished a few days ago his seminar his PhD. And that's one of his first papers already published. Um, I will not explain in details the principle, but what I've said before is all represented here. You create the virtual species with the first model, then you sample, and you can play with different factors in the process. Uh, just to show you the numbers that are interesting are here. You see, if you, he, he generated 100 virtual species with different models, so with different ecology. And he used five cross-validation, uh, repeated split sample, actually, uh, runs. And he did also one full model then for the prediction, so it, it makes six. He used five modeling techniques. I didn't explain, but we use, when we have only occurrence, we use pseudo-artices, and we have different ways to generate them. So he tested five ways. Uh, and he also used uh, three runs to calculate uh, what we call variable importance in the models. So you see that all, the, all this put together makes 37,500 uh, models, just somewhat for the basis of the experiment. And then he played with other factors, and this quickly increased the number, and you can you reach millions of models if you want to fit. So this is really like something that takes a long time. You need to work on clusters for that. The second example is, is an ongoing project where we're trying to quantify and compare the importance of climate for the different groups we have. So for plants, insects, you see a little bit here the different results, but that's not the point of the talk today. Uh, but you see that for instance, the, the soil organisms rely much less on the atmospheric climate than for instance, the reptiles or the plants. Uh, but again, you see here, just for an example, the classification of the number of models that we try to fit. And you see, for 10 taxonomic groups, we have a total of more than 1,500 species, and this is a selection for the microorganisms. 
Uh, again, some cross-validation, different modeling techniques. Here we use ensembles of small models to be able to, to account for as many as possible uh, species in the model. And you see that just here you reach really a very, very high number of models. And then, of course, if you want to use climate change projections, you need to do the production. That actually is something that takes even more time than fitting the models. It's just to project the models on all the pixels in the array when you have millions of pixels. But just here we have this, this high number of projections. So also just to give you an idea of how long it takes, if you do all this just for one species, you need more or less one hour per species to run all this, this process. So if you run models for the 1,551 species, you need the same number of hours, which makes more or less two months if you would, would be using only one CPU. So of course, we use clusters, and sometimes we can, if we have enough nodes in a cluster, we can run it in a few days or in a few weeks. It depends how many nodes we can have. But we are really demanding in terms of computing power. So typically, working in collaboration with computer scientists in such center will be really a great experience. So this is an ongoing project. Uh, I can't really detail on the result now, uh, but we, we, we already have some nice uh, first results. Uh, I hope I can present them maybe in the next workshop. Uh, just to finish, uh, you see that at least uh, in terms of computing or geocomputing, the big challenge for us is with this large number of models that we have to run, and how to optimize. So far we have been using the Vitality cluster, which is uh, the cluster of the Swiss in uh, Institute of Bioinformatics. Uh, but other options could be Catmos or clusters here in geoscience in this new center. One thing that maybe I would just raise as a kind of challenge of discussion is that at the same time we are aware that this, this modeling requires a lot of resources, a lot of energy. And I would be quite actually interested to discuss how to optimize to reduce actually the energy consumption that we have by doing these simulations. And try to maybe be able to either optimize codes that they faster than consume less, or find ways to calculate some power statistics to calculate just the right number of parameters, like how many uh, repeated cross-validation you need to do to really get the, the number of variation we want and so on. So if anyone is interested in these type of things, please uh, come to me. Um, that's it. Thanks for your attention. Thank you.